Are you ready to vibe? You're listening to Creepy Vibes Only. Well, listeners, welcome back to episode two of Creepy Vibes Only. I'm Emma. And I'm Steph. And we're here to vibe with you and uh, tell you about what's been keeping us up at night. Yes, 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 yes. So, Steph, what's been keeping you up at night this week? Well, let me think. Mm, Okay. The one reason why... I can't sleep lately is because I've decided to reorganize my closet and now I can't close the door to my closet anymore because I thought it was a great idea <laughs> but now I will like lay at night and just think of like what happens if someone breaks in because I can't hide anymore the closet was like my go-to space so now I have to fight it whoever comes in yeah, because that closet door truly was the Fort Knox of your house. That was going to have the difference. Spot. <laughs> There's a little spot in the corner I could hide. Well, no, and no, no. I, not anymore. <laughs> it's good that you have shared your hiding spot with uh, the world. It's not there anymore. I need to find a new one. <laughs> God. <laughs> Why are you not sleeping at night? What's keeping you up? So... <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I have a 95-pound Labradoodle who, uh, because it's winter, in, in spite of the fact that he has, like, the fur of a polar bear, uh, <laughs> is getting cold at night. So I will, like, literally wake up to this gigantic creature basically lying on top of me and smothering me. <laughs> and, like I, can't, like, I cannot get a lick of space in my own bed because I uh, have no uh, no boundaries with that dog, it seems. So you need a king size bed. But that's not it. Like I have a pretty big bed. It's just he is like, I must snuggle you. <laughs> it's cold. You need a smaller dog. Yeah, well, I can't have that now. <laughs> it's a little too late. Oh, he is cute. freaking massive. Yeah. Well, Steph. Um yes. uh just like last week's episode, uh, involved cannibalism in a degree. Uh, nice. Not intentionally. This one does it too. Uh, That's so, nice. That's nice. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to regale you with mm-hmm. the Scottish legend of Sonny Bean. Ooh. Are you ready? Yes. So um, picture this. It is the 16th century in scotland mm-hmm. and sonny bean is the he's said to be the head of a pretty big clan so about well not pretty big i guess i, I don't know i'm not a clan expert but a clan <laughs> of a relatively large number of number of people so according to wikipedia and thanks to wikipedia because that's where i got most of this information mm-hmm. uh 45 people and okay <laughs> I want you to guess how many people uh, it's listed in a ballpark that he and these 45 people cannibalized. 
In 25 oh. years. It was 25 years. In 25 years? Yeah. See, I was going to say, like, themselves, but now since there's 25 years, like, what, like, 100? Higher. No! Yeah, how many? Guess again. I like this game. <laughs> uh, 500? It's higher than that! No! Yeah! <laughs> Why did um, it stop them? We'll, we'll get into that. So it's over 1,000. <gasps> how? How? Well, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. So, some background on uh, Sonny Bean. So, he was born Alexander Bean, and he was born in this part of Scotland called East Lothian, which is shockingly along the east coast mm-hmm. of Scotland. Um, his father was a ditch digger and hedge trimmer, so he was kind of a guy that worked with his hands. And he, tr- like, Sonny Bean tried to kind of continue that trade, but I guess it just wasn't right for him. Apparently, he eventually shacked up with a woman who went by the name Black Agnes Douglas, uh, who apparently was also not a great person. um, And like many other women, was accused of being a witch. Um, Oh, (laughs) So they started off their journey of killing and eating people pretty early into their relationship. As you do in any healthy relationship. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's like the dating phase, there's the like honeymoon phase, and then there's the cannibalization phase. And it's mm-hmm. just part of the mm-hmm. general tide of things. Um, it's probably why none of my relationships worked out. We never got to that phase. So. Well, um, remind, remind me not to like be around when you start <laughs> seeing people after the pandemic. <laughs> so, uh, early on in their relationship, they actually ended up shacking up in a coastal cave, and okay. it was in this kind of area called Bene Head. Uh, the cave was pretty big, so it was a hundred, like about, sorry, I'll just say about 200 meters deep and the entrance would get blocked off by water during the high tide. So they could live there pretty well on like without being able to be found. And they lived there for 25 years. Oh my God. So together they ended up having eight sons and six daughters. Hmm. And then 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters and apparently there was a whole lot of uh incest yeah i was about to say like was there like anybody else there um it's not clear if they ended up like recruiting people it sounds like based on my research that it was mostly this like family just growing and growing and like they'd be Um. like all right little jimmy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's time to kill your first victim. Like that was kind of just their their vibe, which okay. is okay. Full. Um yeah. and uh they weren't uh they were great. So they would basically sustain themselves by ambushing, killing, and robbing people uh like at nighttime. Hmm. So when the tide like was out and they could get out of their cave. And then they would bring like the bodies and like all the goods that they'd stolen back to their cave where they would um i'll put it delicately process their bounty um and continue to sustain themselves so because they were like 
really good at sneaking and doing this. Like they were, people were like, Oh, like, I guess Gladys is missing now. We can't find her. And like, there's basically no evidence to go with because like, if you think of the way like a beach works, like as soon as that tide comes in, like Mm -hmm. you can't find them. Yeah. And you can't even access them. So people were like, obviously noticing things were happening and they were like looking for people. And according to the legend, apparently one search, like actually someone was like, Hey, like, look at that cave. And people were like, you know what? No, like who's going to live in a cave? Like no one could survive that. And they never actually went and looked inside it. And I mean, like parent- whoever, like good for them. Cause I feel like if someone did go there, they would have never came back. A million percent. There's too many of them waiting. <laughs> Just like in the caverns, like bats. Like, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to our lair. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I'm also like making light of this, and I think it's my coping mechanism because it's so gross and grim. So I'm not I mean, trying like, to be. This is a comedy podcast, so we are going to make light of things that we shouldn't necessarily have to or should, but you know. Yeah. Again, and this is also a legend. <laughs> so yes. we don't think this is necessarily true. Um, unfortunately, according to the legend, the people like in their pursuit of like finding the culprit executed several innocent people but obviously like even though they were killing like these like executing these people and killing them like the disappearances and killings and robberies like weren't stopping and people like innkeepers were often uh like suspected of this because they would have been a lot of the people who would see like the missing people the last time they were seen alive so this continued as mentioned for 25 years thereabouts until the beans ambushed the wrong people so i guess there was like some sort of like fair or event and a married couple uh was riding through one night unfortunately when they were attacked the like the beans did kill the wife but the husband was like super super good with a gun like they had pistols back then and swords so he's a really good fighter and he was able to fight them off and they uh and kind of just like held his own until a large group from that fair came on the trail basically scaring off the beans hmm. so good for them yeah right so this group that like is like oh my god man like holy shit and they bring him to the local magistrate and they were like yo we think we think we know who's been doing this stuff because like there's witnesses there's a survivor now so uh with them kind of like being found now it didn't take very long before uh the king at the time and they think it was likely uh james the sixth like based on the timelines because it was in the 16th century so between the 1500s and 1600s um but it could have been later on so once the king heard what was going on he was like fuck this shit and (laughs) sent 400 men and like a bunch of bloodhounds to investigate like he was like nope not today satan we're gonna find them this is this is gross so they found the beans I feel like I keep I keep saying the beans and I'm just like imagining a bunch of like p- pinto beans like <laughs> with like angry eyes and like fangs like eh. 
so they found them in that overlooked cave, thanks to the bloodhounds. Uh, so once they got in the cave uh, with their torchlights, they found the Bean Clan. <sighs> and of course, this cave was awful. It was horrible Ugh. on the inside. So there were human remains everywhere. There were body parts hanging from the walls. Oh there were God. like literal barrels full of limbs. There were like pickled people and like heads no! and organs. Yeah, I know. It was like a fucking haunted house. Uh, and of course, like there were piles of stolen goods. So there was like jewelry and clothing and all sorts of stuff. So there's two kind of versions of where things go once they're found so in one people were like nope placed gunpowder and like explosives all over the front of the cave and exploded it and then the cave like basically like kind of crumbled in and that the clan uh suffocated in okay. there the more common one is that the clan was like the beans were fully captured alive and they just like they didn't even fight they were just like all right you got us <laughs> rats um <laughs> and they were taken to the tollbooth jail in Andra. um after that they were transferred to either Leith or glasgow where they are promptly executed without trial according to wikipedia so their people were just like nope we don't need yeah. to try these guys it's like that's it we already like like, people, because of, like, what they had done, like, people didn't even see them as humans. Like, they were, like, so monsters Can you imagine them trying to, like, defend, like, oh, this is the arm I found in the bush the other day. Like, how do you want them to defend themselves? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, their uh, punishment was pretty gruesome. Uh, so, I don't know, stuff like grab a pillow or something. Uh, oh, no. So sonny so alex sander whatever you want to call him and the other men had their genitals um cut off and then no. they were burned their hands and their feet uh were cut so that they would bleed to death oh my God. and allegedly shawnee uh, shawnee's sonny's dying words or his like last words were it isn't over it will never be over Oh, um, I don't like that. He's coming back as a ghost. <laughs> you can cover that in a later episode. We're not going to touch that. <laughs> um, and Agnes, so his wife, uh, her fellow women, and the children, which I, I, I find actually, like, I feel sad the children were killed. Mm -hmm. like, I feel like they were bred in that. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. But they were basically burned alive like, like a witch would be. Um Ugh. <sighs> like it's one of those situations where like you you feel bad for them but at the same time like you can't because they've they ate people yeah i mean like i like i personally like i don't support the death penalty yeah but it's fucking wild mm -hmm. all of this and like what they did was it's, just like atrocious yeah it's yeah exactly so um there's a town actually near that cave which you can visit like it's a, like Bene had oh sorry Benin had like that that cave is like a like landmark now um but there's a town called Girvin which is near like that area 
and they have another bean clan which is basically that one of his daughters actually uh did like get out of the clan and okay. settled like in that town of Girvin and she planted a dual tree that became uh famous as the hairy tree okay uh and once her family got caught apparently her like she was known by the angry locals and they hung her from that tree no she fucking got out i know oh i know it's a bummer am oh it's gross so there is like like i said like there's a lot of debate on whether or not like this story is true or if it's a legend mm. or uh, but either way it's like it's a very famous one um mm-hmm. and actually did have some influence in popular culture so uh there's like influence in the movie the texas chainsaw massacre which has like similar cannibalism and similar like stories of like robbing people and keeping their remains um there's a movie that we should watch called the hills have eyes stuff which i'm sure you would love no (laughs) and sonny bean was the uh, inspiration for that movie and there is an anime which uh is called attack on titan and one of the characters uh actually names these two titans that she captures sonny and bean and Hmm. In that show, I guess, like, the Titans eat people. Okay. Yum, yum. Oh, yes. So that's the story of Sonny Bean. Hmm. I, like, want to say very nice, but no. But <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it was, like, it was a short story, which I appreciate because it's horrible. Yeah, like, I didn't want to, like, drag it out. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a gross one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. We'll go to Scotland. We'll visit it. Stuff. Go to the cave. <laughs> Imagine tourists, like a tour. I mean, like this is where people died and ate people. But like they literally have like tours and stuff you can go on. Ugh. Yeah. Listen. Like, I understand, like going to visit like haunted place, like haunted places and that kind of stuff, because like. You don't know if it's true or not. It is just fun. But like going to a place where like this is where this person killed someone, like, ugh. Okay, but a lot of haunted places are the sites of some pretty like mm-hmm. like think about like the LaLaurie mansion. Yeah. And yeah. Nola. hmm Like it's haunted AF because yes. some horrible AF stuff happened there. It's all like tied together. Exactly. It's okay, Steph. (sighs) So, what what you want to tell me about? Okay. So, we are, for today's story, we are going to travel to Shag Harbor. Um, It's a little fishing community on uh, the south shore of Nova Scotia. It's got a population of around 450 people. So, very small. Um, and the reason why we know of Shack Harbor today and why it is, it has this reputation, isn't it because of their ghost stories, their ghost ships, their giant sea serpents, or their many squids. It's actually because of the events of the night that occurred 
on October 4th, 1967. So to start off the story, I'm going to start with, um, so research-wise, I watched a documentary, which I won't say the name right now because it's going to like reveal my story. Um, <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> Uh, so I watched a documentary and then I've read like a bunch of articles and it's it's very, very interesting if you guys like want to do your own research after this. Um, but to start off, let's start with this Neslo quote. There were many strange lights in the sky over Nova Scotia that night, but for the people of Shag Harbor, those lights would fall to the earth and the eyes of the world would fall on Shag Harbor. So this was from the documentary, The Shag Harbor UFO the true incident hmm. yes so sidebar i am not someone that really likes ufo stories like I, I don't know like they just don't attract me but when i was reading this one it just it's it's a wild ride it's very interesting so let's begin so on that evening of October 4th, 1967, there were multiple eyewitnesses that saw strange, four strange lights flying across Nova Scotia. In Dartmouth, no, Dartmouth, Dartmouth, I'm not sure how to say it. It's Dartmouth. Dartmouth, okay. So in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Chris Stiles, who was 12 at the time, he saw the lights travel along the harbor from inside his house. He raced outside of his house to reach the water because he wanted a better vantage point to see what it was. Stahl remembers standing completely still and feeling what he described as real fear inside of him. When he was watching the lights, he sensed that he should not be seeing what he was seeing and that he was too close. As he watched a huge orange sphere trace the shoreline, it suddenly shot towards him and then disappeared into the sky. The next morning, Chris got a call from his grandfather who said that he also saw the strange lights in Shag Harbor, but one of the lights actually crashed in the water. In Mason Beach, Nova Scotia, Wilfred Eisner and two of his friends were getting ready to burn an old boat when they noticed strange lights in the sky. Eisner at the time had his camera because he was planning on taking pictures of the boat, so he managed to actually take a picture of the lights that he saw. The picture he took is a five-minute time exposure, and in the documentary, they do show it. And you see three round lights, one small and orange, and other two bigger ones. One is purple and one is a bluish color, as well as a lot of orange streaks on, in the picture. Eisner explained that these streaks were actually the stars and that moved throughout that five-minute exposure with the Earth due to the Earth's rotation and that the small orange uh, brown object in the picture was actually another star that just happened to be stationary. However, the other two objects that were much bigger and of a different color are the, the UFOs in that picture. They said that upon examining the, the, the picture itself, you can see that, well, if you look back at what happened and then you look at the picture, the object were just hovered, had hovered in place for five minutes. And that is not something that any, uh, like a helicopter, a plane can just do. They don't just stand still in that one spot for a long period of time. So Eisner believes that he did take a picture of the UFOs, but it probably wasn't the one that crashed into Shag Harbor. And then the interesting thing of this uh, eyewitness event is that he, what he saw and what he captured actually took place an hour before what happened in Shag Harbor. Mm. 
So now that we traveled along the little town surrounding Shack Harbor, let's go to actually what happened there. So Lori Wickens, who's a local fisherman, about the time he was much younger, he was driving home from a dance with friends. As they were driving, they noticed four lights flash in a sequence, one after another, along the highway. Wicken said that the lights followed the vehicle for a good amount of time until they suddenly dove at a 45-degree angle towards the water. So once, um, once they saw the craft or whatever it was basically like dive into the water, well, they saw it, they were, there's a mountain, so they didn't see it crash into the water, but they assumed they went in the water. Uh, at that point, Wickens and his friend, they didn't think they just saw a UFO. They thought that they just saw a plane crash into the water and they just noticed, they just saw this horrible uh, plane crash. So they raced towards a location where it crashed. At the same time, they had called the RCMP to notify them of the accident. It turns out that they were the first call of multiple calls to the RCMP to notify them of a plane crash. At the same time, RCMP Constable Round Pound was driving down Highway. I'm sorry, wait, was, what's, what's his name? <laughs> Round Round Pound. Because uh, what did I say? Round Pound. <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> Ron Pound. Round Pound. <laughs> you can appreciate my like. Wait a second. <laughs> There's some like different. <laughs> oh my god, I'm French, Listen. okay? No. <laughs> There's something strange in your neighborhood. Who are you gonna call? <laughs> Round. <laughs> <laughs> you hear my snort? Yeah. Oh, tabernacle. Oh my god. <sighs> Focus. <laughs> At the same time, RCP comes. Constable Ron Pound was driving down Highway 3. <laughs> Ron Pound, the constable? Where is it wrong? Count, constable? Count? Constable? The count? Constable. The count. Con. Like a con. Con. Okay. Again. Ron the con. <laughs> Stop it. Stop okay, Sorry. It's just really funny. <laughs> At the same time, RCMP Constable Ron Pound was driving down Highway 3 on his way to Shag Harbor. And he witnessed the strange lights as well. He saw four lights attached to a flying craft that was about 60 feet long. The lights flew along the highway to then suddenly dip down towards the water. So Constable Pound, along with Police Corporal Victor Ferbiki and Constable Ron O'Brien, responded to the multiple calls of the plane crash. When they arrive at the site of the crash, there is already a crowd of residents overlooking the water. They expected to see a plane, pieces, like they expected to see a wreckage and just this horrible, horrible sight. But what they actually saw was a pale yellow light slowly moving eight feet above the water. The light was moving under its own power in the direction of the ebbing tide, but at a slightly faster rate. Even more bizarre than the light was the white trail of yellow foam that followed it. People kept on looking until the light just vanished. People thought that either the craft had moved too far away for them to see at night or that it was submerged. 
Immediately, onlookers sprang into action, as they thought people would be in the water. So they went into full search and rescue mode, because they, no one at that point was thinking UFO. They just thought that there, it was like this horrible thing that had happened. So local fisherman Lawrence Smith was just about to go to bed when he got a call that there's a plane crash into the water and that he needed to get his crew out to out into the harbor to go and find the victims. Additionally, the RCMP had made some calls and Coast Guard Cutter 101 and other local boats rushed to aid in the search. When they arrived at the spot of the sighting, all that was left behind was the strange yellow foam. There's no wreck. There's no ship. There is no, there was nothing and no people. The search went on until 3 a.m. where it was called off. Smith reported that the foam was not normal tidal wave foam. One, there wasn't the right weather conditions to make up that kind of foam. And there's also weird conditions about the foam. The foam smelt of burned sulfur. It kind of seemed to sparkle when you would light, when you would pass a flashlight over it. It was very dense. It didn't dissipate like normal tidal wave. And the sheer amount of the foam also made it very unusual. Smith said that in all his 15 years, 45 years of fishing, sorry, he had never seen foam like that. And he also said that anyone who would have seen that would have just stopped and investigated because it was so unusual. Throughout the operation, the RCMP had also contacted the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax to advise them of a plane crash. The RCC then made an urgent call to the NORAD radar station at Bacaro, Nova Scotia, to get reports on any missing airplanes. An hour later, they were told that there was no missing aircraft reported that evening, so no missing civilian, commercial, or military aircrafts at all. It was at this point that they realized that they weren't dealing with an airplane, that they were dealing with something that was unknown. The day after, the RCC filed a report with the Canadian Forces headquarters in Ottawa that an object of unknown origin had hit the water in Shag Harbor. This prompted the HMCS Granby to be ordered to the location to start a dive. On October 7th, divers started to search the bottom of the harbor to find the wreckage of the craft. The water in Shag Harbor is shallow, shallow with a strong current, so the divers believe that if the wreck had been moved to sea by that time, they would find it soon. The search lasted for two and a half days, and at the end of the two, the search, onlookers saw divers bring up these jagged type of object out of the water, and then they just packed them into a military van, and then that was the end of it. The residents asked the divers what it was, and they said it was simply just the markers that they used to make sure that they did not lose their way when they were searching the, the bottom of the, the water. Wilkins, if you remember him, he was the, um, the fisherman that was driving with his friends and who saw the plane dive. He had asked an RCMP officer on site if they found out anything about the airplane and the officer responded that it was determined that it was an UFO, but he wouldn't say more. Now, this obviously was a huge, huge event. Um, newspapers, like people just went crazy about this. Uh, a comic book was made. It was in all of the tabloids. It was all in the newspapers. 
But once the search, the dive was done and there's no development, it just quickly died. And that's why Shag Harbor, the UFO incident, is often compared to Roswell, but in a more positive manner. Hmm. This incident drew in a lot of attention, but then it just kind of died off and people were like, ah, like something happened, but it, it doesn't have all of that like skepticism attached to it. Now, the, the one very interesting thing about this story is the our first eyewitness that we that I talked about earlier, Styles, he was 12 at the time and it completely changed his life. It was something that he couldn't stop thinking about. He wanted answers. And to him, like, since the military was involved, since the police was involved, like there had to have some documents, there had to be proof somewhere that they came out to search a UFO or something. So that prompted him to join MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network, and become an investigator. He joined with another investigator, investigator Doug Ledger, decided to really explore and investigate what happened on October 4th, 1967 in Chag Harbor. The really interesting thing about this is that they actually didn't cover a lot more information. There's a lot more to the original story. So the two men interviewed many of the original witnesses and were able to uncover compelling evidence that there truly is more to the story. Ledger said that Shark Harbor, sorry, Ledger said that the Shag Harbor incident is very important as it is one of the few cases where there are good indication that something truly came close to the shore as it was seen by multiple and strong witnesses. So there's eyewitness accounts by police, military, so many residents and all across Nova Scotia. He also said that it was an interesting case because the more you looked into it, the more details came out and it was all, all of the details that came out were in favor of the UFO. They're also able to find a military report between Ottawa and Shag Harbor that confirmed that officials truly believe they're dealing with a UFO. So in the documentary, they show the document and in the margins, you see UFO scratched, like underlined a bunch of times, at least like three different parts of the report. Additionally, what makes this a strong case is the amount of testimonies given by the police and military personnel. So the one thing about these eyewitnesses reports too, that to keep in mind is that they were all given off the record. People did not want to lose their jobs. They didn't want to lose their pension. They just didn't want the negative connotation. But some of the reports, the, the what eyewitness statements are still pretty strong and interesting to consider. A former staff member of the Canadian Forces NORAD station in Barrington said it had involved, said it had involved a lot of people. It was a big event and they thought that it was something out of the normal and everybody inside that room knew what we what had happened that night and we were held to secrecy. He then, and this was like a part in the document that like, it was kind of weird and it's like hearsay, but I figured I'll say it because it, it's weird. He said that his commanding officer had told him that they could see on the radar that a craft entered the inner space somewhere in, north, in Northwestern Canada it had to wobble through the atmosphere until it linked into the Atlantic. The craft then almost hit an airplane somewhere in Quebec, and then it had crashed into Shag Harbor, but that there's also another craft tagging it. And after the crash, both 
UFOs or whatever had moved from Shag Harbor. So, like, this UFO had, like, a wild ride that night. <laughs> it was, like, really just all over the place. <laughs> Seeing the sights in Canada. There had been, like, a little truck driving involved. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Listen. Know your limit and stay within it, UFOs. Exactly. Okay, just imagine that airplane in Quebec. Tabanak! Qu'est-ce la fuck? So, in their investigation, Styles and Ledger discovered that the dive was conducted, the dive conducted by the HSMC Granby, so that, like, dive that, they ha- that happened on October 7th, wasn't the last development of the case. The divers and, witness- and witnesses claimed that the object had actually left the air soon after it dove into the water. The object traveled underwater to Government Point in Shelburne, Nova Scotia, which was 25 miles away. And the one thing about Government Point, it's actually a submarine detection base. So they were able, on their sonars, they were able to pick up the object. Canadian and American naval vessels had rushed to the location of the craft to keep track of it. A few days later, a second UFO had joined the first one in what it is believed to be a rescue operation of the first UFO. No one really knows. The Navy then decided to monitor the UFOs for a week. But then suddenly during the, that period of observation, the vessels were then called to go into to go look at a Russian submarine that had entered Canadian waters. Now, when that happened, the two UFOs were then seen charging the submarine to then pass it. They crossed to the Gulf of Maine, where witnesses saw the craft shoot out of the sky and just out of view. Hmm. These claims were corroborated by civilian military witnesses. I mean, it was a it's a wild story. It's um, when I was listening to the documentary, like I got in, like I was into it until like the whole like Russian submarine thing. That's where they kind of lost me a bit. Um, they were explaining how like. At that period of time, like they were expecting the Soviets to, a Soviet attack was very possible at that time. And that's why the Americans and the Kinese were involved. And because all three countries were involved, that's why there's so much secrecy about it. Um, but then like compared to all of the other documents and that they had about like the first set of the story, that whole like government point and Russian submarine story, that's where it's more eyewitnesses. So I'm not too sure about that part. Disclaimer. Yeah, I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. It's the story. Um, So obviously the UFO in Shag Harbor completely changed their their history. It, It just became part of the history of Shag Harbor. Now, visitors today can go and visit the Shag Harbor Incident Interpretive Center, where you they can watch television documentaries, new newspaper articles. They can also look at memorabilia of the event. They can also go up to the UFO gazebo and picnic site to look at the location of where the UFO crashed in the water. Shag Harbor is also host to the annual Shag Harbor UFO Expo, where experts and witnesses can gather and discuss either uh, about different UFO sightings, bring more evidence uh, towards the story. And then a really fun fact 
2019, the Royal Canadian Mint released a glow-in-the-dark collector's coin of the event. Um, so the Shag Harbor coin is part of their Unexplained Phenomena series. And it's actually like, it's a very cute coin. Like if you Google it, it looks really cool. Uh, you can see just some people overlooking the pier and just four lights uh, in the sky. And then if you flash a black light, it just flashes even more. Like it's really, really cute. It's really cool. <laughs> kind of and, well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of Shag Harbor. I'll have to do like a little like tour of like creepy Canada. That would be so cool. So it's like the, sorry, what's the biggest city near Shag Harbor? Uh, I don't know, but I can look it up. Fox or something? Because it's Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Yeah, so like maybe Halifax. Could fly there. Drivey, mm -hmm. drivey. Be a fun road trip. Yeah. You can go see Round Pound. <laughs> <laughs> And what's great is we can go camping in the national park next to Shag Harbor and we can see a Wendigo. It's okay. <laughs> you you can camp and I'll come and pick you up the following day if you're still alive. No, I'm too big of a baby. <laughs> I like I would not have survived outside of the modern times. Like I have no survival instincts in the wilderness. Like, it, like, barely can survive this society of, like, anxiety and, like, social awkwardness. Can you see me try to freaking hunt? No. Try to, like, get her food or anything? <laughs> Too afraid no, there's lizards somewhere. <laughs> no, I, can I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> Good gravy. Well... I hope it creeped you guys out. Um, but if you enjoyed it and wish to encourage us, which we really, really would like encouragement, we like to hear that we're doing good things. It's it's fun. Um, please follow us uh, wherever you're listening, download the episodes, and leave us a review. Only if it's a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, if there's anything that... Uh, you want to share with us or if there's any topics you'd like us to cover please let us know um and say hi yeah so if you cool. want to email us um it's cvopodcast at gmail.com you can also follow us on facebook twitter and instagram again at creepy vibes only podcast uh and that's it thanks for vibing with us guys it's yes your your two best friends are signing off. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye. <laughs> At the same time, RCMP Constable Round Pound was driving down Highway I'm Sorry, wait, was, what's, what's his name? <laughs> Round, Round Pound. He, uh, what did I say? Round Pound. <laughs> <laughs> Is that his name? <laughs> Ron Pound. Round pound. <laughs> you can appreciate my like, wait a second. <laughs>